Take your Bible tonight and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. No doubt it's a familiar psalm, but it's where my heart is tonight. And I think there's something again tonight very specific that the Lord would have us touch on. I want to remind the ladies that you have a very special afternoon on May the 14th in the Family Life Center. This is a ladies' tea party. A ladies' tea party. Now, is the queen coming? Are there crumpets being served? It is officially a tea party. So, ladies, the 14th at 2 p.m., and there's something on here about a creative hat contest. Uh, I asked if I could participate in the hat portion. I was rejected and told to stay away. Uh, but my, I was going to wear a sombrero, Brother Kevin. It was going to have lights. But uh, my wife, Miranda, will be speaking to the ladies. And ladies, I have watched her uh, prepare and pray over what God's put in her heart for that day. You don't want to miss it. Uh, if you have any, any freedom with your schedule that day, just call the church office and sign up. Or I think I saw a sign-up sheet over here on this table where you can sign up. Just put your name, your phone number, and no doubt you'll want to be a part of that. Let's read a few of these verses and then we'll pray. And I'll share what God's put in my heart tonight. Psalm 78, verse number 1. Give ear, O my people. That, may, that means to pay attention. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop worrying about everything else in life. Every distraction and every possible thing that could tear you away from what's getting ready to be stated. Put it away and listen to the Word of God. It's what it's saying. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. This is history. This is a story. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Heavenly Father, for a few minutes, Lord, as we study your word as a church family, God, I pray that as we break the bread, Lord, as we dive into the truth of your word, Lord, we ask you for liberty. God, we ask you to hide me behind the cross. And that God, the word of God would penetrate hearts and minds and that Lord, you would motivate us. God, that you would manipulate us. God, that you would persuade us. God, that you would turn us. And God, that you would lift our eyes to focus on what really matters tonight. In the mighty, capable name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen. My heart tonight is to simply preach 
a message entitled, The God of Great Provision. The God of Great Provision. It's vital to our church. It's vital to your home, to your life, and to your children that in your home and in your life and in your church that what is preached about God and what is taught in Sunday school about God and what the teen department preaches about God and what the youth uh, hear about God, what the children hear about God, that everything they hear corporately and individually, privately at home points to the fact that they are worshiping a very mighty and a very big God. Sometimes we hear the stories that we've heard all of our lives. We hear a story about what God did in the lion's den. We hear about what God did after the earth was flooded. We hear about what God did with the Apostle Paul. We have heard those stories, some of us all the way back to when we were four or five years old on a felt board. And inside that story and inside that truth is a very capable, very large, and very in charge God. A story that should make us always step back and go, my goodness, what a God. What capability, what ability that God has. We must believe and we must teach and we must preach in a big God. We do not serve a small God. We do not serve an incapable God. And the way we present God to our families and the way we present God to our friends and the way we talk and the way we act and in the way we believe must represent that we're serving a big God with great power. There's no doubt that there's not a parent in this room, there's not a grandparent in this room or worshiping with us online tonight who wants things to be better for their children and their grandchildren than they had it for themselves. Every mother wants their daughters to have a deeper, closer walk with God than they ever had. Every father in the building wants their sons to have a deeper, greater understanding and a farther walk with God than they ever had and ever experienced. Every single grandparent in this building, if you love your grandchildren, no doubt you want them to fall in love with Jesus at an early age. You pray big prayers and you believe in a big God and you ask Him to save them at a young age so that the scars of sin do not have to touch their body. That before they even get to a place where they can mess up, where they can wreck their lives, or where they can go down a path that will take them 10 or 15 years to get back from, you pray to a big God with big faith that they would never have to know what that was because you know what it was. You've been there. You've got the scar. You've got the taste. And you remember what it is to be in the world and to be broken and to be alone. And if your children are going to stay away from that generational repeat mode, then somebody's going to have to believe and teach and preach and show a big God with great ability. We must, for the sake of the next generation, preach and teach a big God that still provides. It's so important to remember what God has done in the past to give us a picture of the potential of what God can do in the future. Why do you think there is such a, a violent attack against certain parts of American history that has come to fruition since, let's say, 2018, 2019, things really started to fire up. We need to 
take care of some certain elements of our history. We need to take down certain statues. We need to take out certain portions of history books. It has nothing to do with what George Washington thought about a certain group of people. It has nothing to do with how Thomas Jefferson treated the people that worked on his plantation. It has nothing to do with what God did on D-Day and all those men that could have died and how God confused. They don't want to touch that. It's an opportunity to, for them to rob us, the people, and to rob our future generations, the ones to come of a story of a history where God intervened and God did great things. It has more to do with going against what God did than it does having to do with correcting history. It has everything to do with, well, there's a story that really can't be explained in a public school. How did Washington know to turn left when he should have turned right? Well, God was in control. And when you begin to take that out and cut away from history, that's what you wind up with is a generation that does not believe in a big, capable, mighty God who can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Jackson, you got to know, buddy, at a young age that God is a big God. He's a capable God. And I want him to know that. And I want your children to know that. And I want my wife to believe that. But at the end of the day, part of spiritual warfare, part of the attack, part of the assault against God's people, especially in this day when we're all connected to devices uh, from our ear to our wrists, to our pockets, to our shoes, to the cars that we drive. Everything is connected with information and technology and opinion. And at the end of the day, the devil uses that as a leverage point to take you away from a big belief in a big God with big capability. If he can flood you with everything that's happening in this world, it can get really dark in your brain really fast. The noise of everything that's happening in this world. And if you start cutting away the places where you get in your Bible and you read and you assess for yourself the story of what God did. Or if you start to whitewash American history and you take out what God did and his provision in that time in our history. You begin to forget that God is capable to provide. That God is exactly who he said he was. It's vital that our people that this generation now and the generation to come be taught and understand that God is a big God who's able to provide. One of the most powerful examples of God's provision is found in the Old Testament. It's the story of the Exodus, the children of Israel who are taken out of captivity, the Egyptians and their pursuit of them, and how God provided. There's an incredible, incredible essay, it's an article, about an assessment from a quartermaster general of the United States Army taking into account the 3.5 million Jews, the Hebrew children, that left Egypt, and what it would take at minimum for them and their animals to survive. He takes the 3.5 million, he brings into play the condition of the land in which they are wandering for 40 years. He brings into play the weather, he bring, brings into play their physical fitness, the fatigue of what they've lived in. But for 40 years, these children of Israel are in the desert, yet God provides for them every single day food, water, 
And he doesn't just do food and water, but he gives them a way to cook their food. And he gives them enough food and water to feed their animals, their flocks. And not only does he give them enough food and enough water and enough wood to cook the food and to feed the animals, but he gives them a cloud by day. He gives them central air conditioning in the desert so they don't burn up. And then at night, he puts a pillar of fire in the sky and it keeps them warm. He gives them central heating at night. And it's a warning sign to all the enemies of Israel that their God is so capable and so able that he can put a fire, a pillar of fire in the sky to warm his children as they walk in the desert, as they sleep in the sand so they don't grow cold. And it's a warning to the enemies that are pursuing the children of Israel that their God is capable, that their God is big, that their God is mighty, and that their God loves them enough and cares enough for them to give them food and to give them water. If you have 3.5 million Hebrew children, and if God is going to give them food, and if God is going to give them water, there's some pretty incredible movement of supplies that had to come straight from heaven. To feed 3.5 million people and their animals, you would have to have 3,306,934 pounds of food per day. 3,306,934 pounds of food a day. That's a train that's two miles long with the biggest train cars you can find that exist on this earth. And not only would he give them over 3 million pounds of food a day for those 3.5 million people and animals, but he gave them 88,184,905 pounds of wood to cook the fire to cook the food on a campfire. Enough firewood to feed 3.5 million people for one day. God did that every day for 40 years. Not only did he give them 3.3 million pounds of food and 88.184 million pounds of wood, but in that desert condition, the human body at minimum would have to have 20 quarts of water to be able to drink and to be able to wash to stay healthy. 20 quarts of water per person. That's 11 million gallons of water a day. 11 million gallons of water a day. A gallon of water weighs 3.8 pounds. That's 1,800 miles of train cars full of water for the Hebrew children that God provided for them every single solitary day. That's 91,300,000 pounds of water that God in his holy ability provided for the children of Israel every single day. You say, that's fantastic. God made it rain food and he gave them firewood and he gave them water. Praise the Lord for that. At the moment of Exodus, when it really happened and the Egyptians were right there at their heels getting ready to destroy them. God opens up through his servant, the Red Sea. And for 3.5 million people to cross the Red Sea, 3.5 million people to cross the Red Sea, if they were to double file and 
the line was double stacked, double file. It would be a mile, 800 miles long. And it would take them 35 days and 35 nights to get that 3.5 million people across the Red Sea. 35 days and 35 nights, double file. But that's not what happened. For the Hebrew children to walk on the Red Sea, on dry ground where the sea was, it means that God had to part the Red Sea three miles wide so that the children of Israel could walk 5,000 abreast, 5,000 wide, so they could walk across on dry land. And when they got out of the Red Sea and got to their dry land, every night that they camped, every time that they stopped, every time that they were going to take a rest, God had to provide a campsite that was at least 750 square miles or the size of Rhode Island. And God did that for these people for 40 years. God is a God of provision. And when God brings his people to a certain place, though it may seem dark and though it may seem that there is no hope, God's character and God's nature towards his children is to bring them to that place and then provide for exactly what they need. That is the character of our God. And the same God that provided for those 3.5 million Hebrew children fleeing bondage and slavery from Egypt is the same God with the same character and the same desire and the same love to provide for you and your family. That's the same God. The same God that sent them all that supply, all that they could need for 40 years is the same God that you have access to. Can you now see why Satan does not want you to embrace the fact that you have a big God, a mighty God, a God that can provide, a God that can supply? That's the God we serve. Our God is a great God and he's a great God of great provision. And the truth is tonight... The truth is, every single person in this building, every single person watching online and worshiping with us from home or from your hospital room or your nursing home, wherever you may be, no matter who you are, if you're watching this 10 years later in the archives of this church family, no matter who you are and no matter where you are tonight, you are someone that's in need of something from God. No matter who you are, no matter what skin color you have, no matter how much money you have in the bank, everybody in this room under the sound of my voice is in need of something from God. If they're a young child and they don't yet know who Jesus is personally, if the light hasn't come on and their eyes have been exposed to the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your children firstly need Jesus and somebody in that home is going to have to love them enough to believe in a great big God to protect them from what this world has for your babies. Because what this world has for your babies, what the enemy of your soul has in plan for your child is that they would never hear the gospel, that they would never see Christ, and that they would be damned into an eternity in hell with no hope. That's the plan. But somebody at home is going to have to believe in faith 
and with confidence and with authority and in the way you live in your home that you serve a big God with great ability who can save your child at a young age. Pastor Nathan, how old were you when you got saved? Five years old. Angie Allen, do you remember the day you got saved? Do you believe you got saved that day? Do you believe a big God with great provision provided that your five-year-old boy could see Jesus for who he was at that young of an age? Praise God, I do. Did you ever have to go get him out of a dope house? No. Did you ever have to go pay for bail? No. You may have thought you might have to. But what I'm trying to say to you, no glory to anybody but God himself, is that God woke up something inside of your dead, unregenerate five-year-old boy and set something ablaze in his heart and in his life that at five years old, he could see Jesus for who he is. And now he's a pastor. And now he preaches the gospel. And now he wants to reciprocate that in his own family. But if Zay and if Brookie and if Lexi are going to see God, it'll be because Nathan and Jessica believe in a great God with great ability and great capability that can do the same thing that they did in your house when he was five. Which was come to your couch, kneel, and say, Mom, I need to be saved. That's a God of great provision. And there are some of you that are still praying for children and loved ones and husbands and wives. And you've been praying for 10 years. You've been praying for 15 years. You've been praying for 30 years for God to save a loved one, a friend, a co-worker. And God can still do it. God can still provide. God is not out of business. And he is still a God of great provision. Three things I want to give you and I'll take my seat. Philippians 4.19 says this. Embrace this. Believe this. Know this. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches. It doesn't say that my pastor shall provide the bare minimum so I can squeak by and see heaven. No, it says that my God shall supply. The freight train, the train cars that are coming for the children of Israel are not coming from anybody but from God himself. And there are some things that you people, you dear precious people, are believing for and asking for and begging God for. And the only way you're going to see it happen is if God provides the need. The good news is God will provide the need in his time for his glory and he owns it. He's in control of it. You say my situation is a special situation. It has gone too far. This person in this circumstance will never listen to the name of Jesus. They will never listen to a sermon. They'll never come into this building ever again. The great Irish evangelist and pastor and preacher named Ian Paisley. I don't agree with everything the man ever said or ever did, but I know he was God's man and he loved God with all of his heart. He stood in Belfast, Ireland in 1978, a brand new church that he had been assigned to preach and to pastor this congregation. He walks in on the first Sunday and he says, I hear tell that this church has lost sight of the capability of God, that you've lost faith. And he said, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to be the kind of church that believes in the supernatural workings of God. 
And he said, and if you do not want to participate in the supernatural workings of God, then I'm going to ask the deacons of the church to open every door and every window. And if you can't be a part of a church that believes in the supernatural workings of God and praying and asking God to move in a supernatural way that he could go and do whatever we ask in his name according to his will. If you can't believe in a God of that nature and a God that is able to do whatever we ask him to do in his name, then don't wait to get to the closest door. Use the window and get out. Because we believe that God's going to do great and mighty things. Now that's an interesting way to have your first Sunday. There were 65. The next Sunday there were 30. He comes back with that group of 30. They begin to pray. They begin to seek God. And before the end of that second service, he says, Who is the chief sinner? Who is the greatest sinner in this city? It would be interesting to stand up in a pulpit today and ask such a question. But one of the old ladies in the church, she answered the question. She said, He happens to be my ex-brother-in-law. He's the greatest drunk. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he sleeps at the town center in the square on a park bench. And he curses, he has a foul mouth, he's drunk every day of his life. And Pastor Paisley said, well, what's his name? She gave the name and he said, we're going to believe and we're going to ask God to save this man. And for a few weeks they begin to pray and to fast and ask God to save that man. Three weeks later, they're in the middle of a Sunday service, somebody flings open the back doors of that old church. And here comes ex-brother-in-law, mad as a wet hen because he can't drink enough beer or enough liquor to get drunk anymore. He's not slept in days, he doesn't know what's wrong with him, and all he can hear is the hymns being sung from the church down the road from the town square. And he's got to know what's going on in there. He comes in, the Holy Ghost of God convicts him of his sin, woos him and draws him and gloriously saves him. From that one event, that one place, that one time, God strikes a match and thousands of people get saved from a group of people that believe in the supernatural working of God. That's what we need. That's what we're desperate for. We don't need more show. We don't need a better program. We need the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not in the ability of the man behind the pulpit. It's not in the number of staff that we can afford to pay on this church roster. It has nothing to do with that at the end of the day. It has everything to do with the power of the Holy Ghost of God. We're all in need of something tonight. The truth is you need to eat. You need to breathe air. You need to drink water and dehydrated. You need a home to sleep in and a bed. It's nice to have a pillow and a comforter. It's nice to have a place to use the restroom that's underneath a roof. Don't laugh. There's a huge portion of the world that still doesn't have a toilet in the house. You, you expect tonight to go home and open up the refrigerator and there's going to be your bologna and your miracle whip and you're going to have yourself a time before you go to bed. You might even get into your freezer and there'll be Briar's Vanilla Ice Cream. And you're going to turn on your TV and Andy Griffith is going to play before you go to bed. You're blessed. But may I submit to you that that blessing, that good thing, even the bologna and cheese in your refrigerator does not belong to you. It belongs to God. If you're going to eat tonight, it's going to be because God provided for your family. 
If you're going to breathe air, it's going to be because God chose to keep you alive another day and your lungs expand and he's going to choose to keep enough oxygenated air in this world for you to breathe and to live. That's just the nature of God. But number one, God may provide differently. Here's some characteristics of God providing. God may provide differently than you expect. And he may provide in a time that does not fit your timeline. God may provide in a way that you didn't expect him to provide. It may be even in a way that you didn't want him to provide. The truth is you wanted it your way and your time with your process that you figured out. And God will even send somebody to you or God will send you a word through a message, but because it didn't come through the right preacher or because it wasn't delivered in the tone or in the way you wanted it to be delivered or the way you wanted it to be presented, you'll ignore it and move on when really what God was asking you to do was to believe, to trust Him. You can take your petitions, you can take your supplications, you can take your worries and your doubts and your fears, and you can set them at his feet and ask him to intervene. But if he's going to intervene in his way, in his time, then be tender to the fact that he's going to do it that way. And if he sends it in a way that you don't like or that you don't expect, just trust him. Not only does he have your best interest in him, but he can see everything that you can't. You see, the sad part of that story about the children of Israel... Their escape from Egypt. They get in the desert. God's providing those millions of pounds of supplies for them to live and to eat and to drink. And before too long, the awe and the wonder and the glory of his provision turns into grumbling. Hmm. More manna. I've got to start another fire. God, could you not send it cooked already? God, could you not send something besides manna? It gets so bad. You read the dialogue in that story. The children of Israel said, we ate better in Egypt. They forgot about the whip on their back and the bricks that they're having to carry and the bricks that they're having to make. This is the human condition. This is humanity. You're walking around in the desert. You should all be dead, all 3.5 million of you. And God is sending millions of pounds of manna supernaturally. But humanity and its fractured nature, before too long it goes, God, is there anything better? Our slave masters gave us better to eat in Egypt. That's human nature. But over and over again, God provided supernaturally for his people. And if God can provide 3.5 million Israelites enough supplies for them and their animals to live for 40 years in the desert, then may I ask, do you believe then that God is able to meet whatever need you have tonight? Does it look really big? Does it look daunting? Does it look hopeless? How do you think it felt when they got across the Red Sea onto dry ground and the babies are crying because they need supper? You're going to have to take the next couple of steps once you're out of bondage and say, God, I trust you for tomorrow because I know you and God, no matter what I go through, you didn't bring me this far to not send manna. 
In Trinity Baptist Church, God has not brought us this far into 2022, kept us alive in COVID, the doors open, the ministry's robust for His glory and for His purpose just to drop us off a cliff. He's brought us to give us manna and water and wood for our fire. We just got to be faithful to eat it and be thankful for it. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and I am now old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. That is the nature of your God that loves you and that cares for you. Maybe you're at a place you thought you would have been moved on. You're in a job that you thought I'd be promoted by now. I didn't think that that person would be my boss. I didn't think he would be the supervisor. I didn't think she was going to get promoted over me. And God, I know you told me to take this job. I know you brought me here. But now I have to live in this condition. And instead of looking for an opportunity to whine or to bicker or to simply choose pessimism, One of the greatest sins God's children can sin is the sin of unthankfulness. Bless God, He brought you out of sin. He gave you eternal life through and by Christ Jesus. Anything better than hell is a blessing. But never lose sight of the blessings that God gives you. It doesn't mean that you can't move toward your dreams and your desires. But instead of looking at an opportunity to complain as the children of Israel did, take the current moment and take it in and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, how are you trying to grow my faith? What is it that you want me to learn here in this season where I'm upset, where I'm disappointed? What are you trying to show me? I want to mature and I want to grow and I want to be thankful for what you've given me. And sometimes God may provide differently in the way we expect. Secondly, God always provides more of himself. God always provides more of himself. At the end of the day, our greatest need is not a new job. Our greatest need is not for the Fed to readjust interest rates. Our greatest need is not that the start market would continue to grow and expand and be back at 31 or 32,000 points. That's not our greatest need. The stock market's going to go up and down to the day you die. Money is going to come, it's going to go, you're going to save it, then you're going to spend it. That's part of life. At the end of the day, what you need more than anything in your life is more of God. And by more of God, you need more of His presence. And there's a gladness and there's a peace and there's an understanding that He can only give that comes from His storehouse. Can I be honest with you about something? A pastor cannot give you that peace. I love you. I pray for you. I want to carry those burdens with you. But you have to get that peace for yourself from God. God will use a message. God will use an opportunity. He'll use an encounter, especially with His Word. But at the end of the day, the peace that you need, the relationship that you need, it's a personal thing between you and God. And He'll always give you more. 
Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11 says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he then, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? God's saying if unsaved, unregenerate people give their children bread and fish and not stones and serpents, if that is the character of even lost people to provide for their families something to eat, then what then will a God who calls you son or calls you daughter, what then will that God be willing to give to you? It's an unmeasurable storehouse that he possesses. The Bible tells us that our main pursuit, the primary function of our life, is to bring God glory and to pursue him every day. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God, number one, at the top of your list and then see what happens from there. Quit worrying about your job. If you're not right with God, the job's not going to be right. Oh, I want to be married to the man of my dreams. Be right with God first and the man of your dreams will come. I want to be married to the woman that God has for me. Be the man that God wants you to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom. I want my family to fall in line and be the family that they can be. Put God first and they will be. God will provide exactly what you need to make that happen. And then Psalm 34, 37.4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord and, she, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. There's great joy in serving God. I heard from somebody last week says, I cannot believe that you buy all that. I can't believe that you could be happy having to put on a suit and tie and go stand behind a, a big wood pulpit and scream at people. Well, but I'm going to tell you something. I've been on the other side of the river. And everything that the devil has as a counterfeit for the goodness and the mercy of God cannot touch the delight I find in the honey and in the rock of laying my head on the peace of God. God is good to me. And there is a delight, there is a peace, there is a sustainability within the goodness of God. And at the end of the day, what you need more than anything, what your family needs more than anything, is God. And then lastly, and this is something you must take with you daily, God's ultimate provision, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, or if you're worshiping with us online and you're a believer, you're a Christian, the greatest gift, the ultimate provision has already been given to you. It's been given to you in the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He, what's the next word? Gave. What did He give? His only Son as what a gift for you. That was the greatest provision you could ever receive. The greatest gift 
was Jesus. And when we trust in Christ, we will believe in faith, trusting Him. We have decisively secured for ourselves through Christ an eternity that will ultimately always be good. The ultimate provision is in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only did you get eternal life in the greatest gift, the most powerful provision, the sad reality for a lot of people is that they will reject that gift. The greatest provision that's ever been given, they're starving to death and there's a meal prepared for them. They're dying of a disease that there is a cure for. And his name is Jesus. And the greatest atrocity The greatest sadness is when someone rejects the provision that God provides and someone turns their back on Jesus and walks away. The absence of this provision, the absence of that salvation is the greatest curse. It's an eternity separated from God. You see, this provision is not optional. This is not a crab leg buffet. This is water and bread so that you can live. You have to have this meal or you will die. And only God can cook this meal. And only Jesus can serve it. And only the Holy Ghost of God can tell you that it's time for supper to come and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. The greatest provision we've ever been given is the person of Jesus Christ. An eternal life that He provides. James 1.17 puts it in perspective. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means that the God that we read about in the Old Testament, that we hear about in the New Testament, that we see for ourselves in our own lives, it's the same God with the same character. The same love and the same provision. So my question to you tonight is very simple. Miss Angie, you can help me as we close. What do you need? What do you need? Miranda, what do you need? There's some things I can do. I can't do everything. We'll have to ask the Lord together. Debbie, what do you need? If it's a little bit of money, I I can come up with it. If it's a ride to the store, I can give it to you. If it's a hug, I got you. But there's some things that I just can't do. But we can ask together. Kathy, what do you need tonight? David, what do you need? Wilson family, what do y'all need? Gabe, you stand in need of anything tonight? Yeah. Coop, need anything? Yeah, me too. Greg, Carlin, what about up there? I'll do what I can, but there'll be some things, Sandy, that I can't do. Gary, as much as I love you, I'm not going to be able to do it. But we can ask together we can ask him 
And the good news is because of the relationship we have with Jesus, we have access to God the Father Himself. And Jesus, according to Scripture, Brother Darren, we know this, that Jesus takes our prayers, our supplications, and takes them to the ear of the Father and whispers them in His ear. And when you're right with God and you have access to Jesus through and by prayer, and Jesus then prays for you, He takes your supplications to God the Father. God the Father can't deny His Son. It's authority, it's power, it's confidence. Father, I need manna. I need water. I need you to do something that I have no control over. And in His will and in His timing for His glory, He is able to do it. And tonight, we're going to close with prayer. Because I know and I see some of the situations and the circumstance that I know personally that you need God to do something in your life. And if you're here tonight and you can't quite put your finger on that thing that you need to ask God for, I have a request. I think before we ask God for anything personally, I think it would honor the Lord if we'd take those white pieces of paper that have our church prayer requests Every name on there has come into our church office somehow. And these are people. Brother Josh, hand me one of those. These are people who are standing in need of a God who is able. And together tonight, I want us to come to this altar. And whether you read all the names or you just lay your hand on it and pray or you want to call out a particular area, the names of all your staff members are on here. Would you come and pray and ask God to meet their need? The greatest thing you can do is to invest in someone else and then watch God do what only He can do in your life tomorrow. Let's stand all over the building. The altars are open. I'm going to ask you to come and pray. Nobody's going to lead this prayer. This is a season of prayer for our church. I'm going to get with Miranda and I'm going to come here to the front and together we're going to pray over this white list. Our prayer list, they're on either side of the altar. I want you to come tonight. We'll just allow the piano to play and have a season of prayer together. The God of great provision. Let's come and ask Him. Online audience, if you're watching tonight, if you're worshiping with us online, I want to invite you now to email your prayer request to info at tbcashville.org, info at tbcashville.org. And someone will respond. Somebody will pray over your request. If you want to call the church office tomorrow and talk to a pastor, 828-254-2187. And somebody will take your call, take your prayer request. We want to pray for you. We know that so many of you are not able to be here in the building. But we want to let you know tonight that we're praying for you. If it's a comment that you can make publicly on your prayer request, you're able to do so on YouTube or Facebook. And we'll pray for you tonight. We'll ask God to meet your every need. Let's go now into prayer.